Hey, so listen, first service obliged me in this, and I'm hoping that you will too. I was wondering if we could skip the part where I come out and say, hey, how you doing, Gateway South? And then you guys respond all lame, like a couple people go, woo, you know, and then a smattering of applause, and then I shame you for being lame. And I say, I'm like, that was lame. You can do better than that. And then I say, how you doing, Gateway South? And then you get all raucous, right? Can we just skip to the raucous? Could we do that? Because I'm... I'm I'm lacking a little energy this morning. I just I need to feed off your energy. So I'm hoping, and I am comparing you to 9:30, just so you know. How you doing, Gateway South? I'm talking about. Thank you for, and just so you know, um, you destroyed 9:30. You can tell them I said that. I don't even care. Uh, so, hey, listen. Uh, a little confession here. When I was coming up, when I was coming of age, about middle late teens. Uh, the plan for my life, when I, when I thought about my future, the plan for my life was, was not to be a pastor. I don't know if that's shocking. I don't know if do a lot of people sit around going, I'm going to be a pastor one day. I don't know. I, I certainly did not, right? Uh, the plan was not to be a pastor. The plan, the ironclad plan, was to be a rock star. That's right. Why is that funny? Like, I mean, I haven't always been this old or this out of shape, people. Come on. I had some things going for me. But seriously, I was. I remember it's been over 30 years gone by now. That's a little hard for me to say. But it's been over 30 years sitting in one night in my room, a lot like that song just talking about sitting in my room thinking about the future. And I'm sitting with one of the best friends of my youth. And we're sitting and we're talking. You know, the discourse is a lot what you'd expect from guys in your teens. You know, there's a little angst and frustration. And there's, like, just curiosity and longing. And we're listening to tunes on vinyl. Oh, yeah, vinyl, that's right. And uh, even though it's taken a bit of a hiatus, it's making a strong comeback. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. It's a lot more expensive now than it was when I was a teenager. Though. But, yeah, we're listening to tunes on vinyl when we're sitting there, and suddenly an idea, a thought, just races through my mind like a bullet train. Just, And it was one of those moments where you just sort of exclaim the very thought you think before you really think it all the way through. You just shout it out. So this thought races through my mind, and I just shout. I look at my friend, I said, yeah, you, me, we should be rock stars. Yeah. And you know, as I said it out loud, of course, it made its way into full cognitive function, and I mean, it seemed genius, right? <laughs> like it was, what could go wrong, am I right? Like we immediately set out a plan. We're like, there's two of us. We probably need two more to round out the whole quartet rock band feel. Like we knew the two we wanted to recruit. We go, we recruit them. We form a band. We're the real deal. Nothing could stop us. What could possibly go wrong? There was just one problem that we saw. We only saw one problem in the plan. That problem was that at the time, not a single one of us was a musician. Yeah, it was a little, <laughs> it's a minor, minor detail. Probably tells you a little bit about me, right? So, but we were, you know, we were determined. So, so needless to say, when we go out and make this news public, you know, we start telling people, like friends and peers and acquaintances and family, there's a lot of skeptics, unbelievably, right? They're skeptical, right? They're like, I'm not so sure about your plan here. Well, I will tell you that, that their doubts honestly became like fuel for us. They just fueled us. We, we lacked in talent, and we lacked talent. We more than made up for an ambition. So we went out, we bought instruments, and we started getting chord chart books, right? We booked ourselves a gig right away. <laughs> you got to have a goal, people. <laughs> so <laughs> we book a gig, and we're like, we're gigging, you know? We're, we're like, the real, we're gigging, man. We're, this is real. 
And uh, it actually, I don't know if it was a real gig, it was actually a birthday party for a ninth grade girl who didn't even know we had been booked. Her older brother, who was a senior, booked us. So unbeknownst to her, we show up with all our gear, you know, loading in, right? And she's throwing temper tantrums and fits. So we walk into this little apartment uh, clubhouse, you know, those clubhouses and apartment. We walk in to this party uh, that's full of people, tension, and hors d'oeuvres. And at the time in my life, at this time in my life, it had not yet occurred to me that if you had a, crop, uh, if you had a crappy rock band of that mix, things will get out of hand quickly, <laughs> right? That never occurred to me. It didn't hit me until like our second tune, a cherry tomato, that is. Yeah. I got hit with a cherry tomato. I was like, what? What the? And the hors d'oeuvres were now ammo. Yeah. And so then came the mini broccoli florets, right? And I was like, boys, we're taking fire. Right? And then, and then after that came the little baby carrots, and those little suckers sting. They're firm, right? You can poke an eye out. That's dangerous. That's not even funny, right? And then, and then the final insult, right? They started throwing the crab stuffed mushrooms, right? Hey, you guys, I grew up on the East Coast. People love crab. You understand, right? I mean, you would take the crab out and throw the mushroom, but they're throwing the mushroom with the crab. People throw crab at you, they are definitively saying, you suck. You know what I'm saying? That's a statement, right? And ironically, that all happened in our second tune where we were attempting to cover a song by a band called The Cure, with which the chorus declares, boys don't cry. <laughs> and we were challenging that theory. <laughs> right? So we walk out off the stage. I'm on the stage, the corner of the room, just disgraced. I remember we walked behind that clubhouse, and I, I pulled the bandmates together, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, guys, we got to make some tough decisions. Like, we either got, we, man, we, we've either got to get good or we got to stop, because that can't happen ever again, right? And, that, and we learned a hard lesson that night, honestly. We learned a hard lesson that there are really no shortcuts, Right? This is not. There's no get-rich-quick scheme. There's no shortcuts. Anything you determine, you set out to do, and you want to do it great, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost something. And we hadn't really calculated that cost at the time. I, I am happy to tell you that we did. We actually did hunker down and get in the garage and, 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 and hone our craft. And we got pretty good. We ended up having a lot of success in the East Coast in that region. And, of course, we, our star faded at some point. And you don't know me as Rob Overholt Rockstar, you know me as Rob Overholt Pastor. <laughs> and I couldn't be happier about that, to be honest with you. Because here's the thing, we're continuing a series today helping us look at, the, at this offer that Jesus makes to humanity. We're calling it the offer of a lifetime, this offer that you can be connected to God. That you can be tethered and tied to God in relationship. And, and that's an incredible offer. Unless you don't think so, Right? Because what Jesus describes it, he, he describes life in the kingdom as a treasure over and over again. He says life in the kingdom of God is like treasure. But unless you perceive the value of it, unless you see value, unless you see it as a treasure, those are just words to you, right? Because one man's trash is another man's treasure, one man's treasure is another man's trash. You don't believe me? Look in a garage anytime you want. <laughs> right? Someone's saving all that stuff. It means something to them. I just see trash, right? So you've got to think about that. I once thought that becoming a rock star was quick and easy, and it would be a treasure to do that. I never really computed or counted the cost and the discipline that it took to do anything well. 
And here's the thing that Jesus has done in my life, and he's done in so many lives, and did in so many lives when he walked this earth, is he was a master at helping people reevaluate what they valued, or at least what they thought they valued. And in one of his most famous teachings where he's confronting value, and it is probably the most controversial of his teachings where he really confronts value, uh, he does it in an unforgettable way. Listen to what it says. This is startling in Luke 14, 25 through 31. Words says, now large crowds were traveling with him, being Jesus. He turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Wow. Wow. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Woo. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow who began to build was not able to finish. Ha, 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 ha. Or what king, going to wage war against another king, will not sit first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who has come against him with 20,000? So you should know this is one of those passages. This is one of those times where Jesus is communicating to the crowd, where his PR, his PR agents were like, no, cut it out. Don't say it like that, Jesus. That's going to make for bad press. Right? People aren't going to like that. And this passage has been prone to misunderstanding. It's been the subject of offense. It's, uh, in general, it's made people second-guess Jesus. I mean, come on, hate your family? Hate your life? Carry the cross? I mean, you're putting the cost of this thing a bit steep, aren't you? Isn't that a little high? Come on, Jesus. I mean, what could he possibly mean? Exactly. Exactly. See, to understand this statement and these statements and many statements like it, you have to understand, um, and really to really understand how Jesus taught, you have to take into account who he was teaching to and his preferred method of teaching. Now, this was 2,000 years ago, so there's no voice recorders. There's no internet. Paper isn't even readily available. Very few people can actually write, yet alone write fast. I don't think shorthand was a thing, right? So if you wanted someone to remember what you said, well, you'd better make it stick. You better say something that really stuck with them. And what I would learn in the music industry is actually called an earworm. That's kind of a disgusting little term, isn't it? <laughs> like, think about it for a second. The earworm, right? It's, it, it's what describes like a hit. Like a hit single, because it just gets in your ear and it's like, just gets in there, and, and, and maybe you've had it with a song, maybe you've heard a song, you don't even know what you think about the song yet. You're like, I'm not even sure I like that song, but it's stuck in my head. I can't stop singing it. Well, music, in the music industry, they'd say that's an earworm. And that's the way Jesus spoke a lot to crowds. Just an earworm, just get in there. And he would say some things in a barbed way, sometimes very intentionally, to say, this is going to stick in your ears. This is going to grab. This is going to grab something. This is going to stay in your mind. You're going to walk away and be like, did you hear what he said? Like, what could he have meant? The, the, the people he taught were auditory learners. These statements were literally designed to get into their mind and to linger. And much like what Jesus teaches over and over again, the more time you spend, and you do need to spend some time reflecting and really trying, trying to ponder, what did he mean? The more you do that, the more it starts to roll into focus. So in this case, what did he mean? 
Let's take this phrase. Hate your father and your mother. Now, Jesus is talking to a uh, Jewish audience here who would have been pretty clear on the Ten Commandments, right? That's kind of a staple. And, And in the Fifth Commandment, it's written, honor your father and mother. So what's happening? Is Jesus contradicting the Big Ten? Right? Is he... Is he really advocating parent hatred? I mean, th- that's pretty inconsistent with the importance he seems to place on Scripture everywhere else. So what could he mean? I mean, he's touching on things that we all would admit are extremely valuable. Parents, children, even your own life. He's taking these things and he's literally stacking them right next to being his disciple. And he's contrasting them. And he's messing with your value system. That's what he, he's messing with our value system in this. He's like literally shaking it up. He's messing with us. He's, he's saying, might there be, is it possible that there's something so incredibly valuable that you would find in me, the maker of all, that compared to your love for your children would look like hate, that would make that look like hatred. It would be that valuable. Take the phrase, carry the cross. I mean, remember, this is pre-crucifixion Jesus. Now, in our day, the cross and Jesus are synonymous, right? They just go hand in hand. They're, they just go to, no one thinks of Jesus without thinking of the cross, or very few people, whether they're followers or not. But this is pre-crucifixion. No one at this point thought of Jesus and the cross. They did not think that way at all. In fact, his listeners, if they heard cross, they would, they would think of as the numerous Roman crucifixions that literally littered the landscapes of everywhere they lived. Romans would crucify people right on the roadside just so you couldn't miss it. So a man carrying his cross to the place of execution is not a rare sight, but it's not one you you like to ponder. It's not one you like to sit and think about a lot. So again, what did Jesus mean? Why use that image? Well, candidly, if you're carrying a cross, especially in that culture... Where is your life headed? What's on your mind? Probably this is it. You've come to the end. So could it be that what Jesus is actually saying is, whoever has not come to their end first cannot be my disciple. Whoever has not first come to their end, to the end of themselves, just exhausted with themselves, exhausted with carrying the burden of themselves. Whoever's not come to that end cannot be my disciple. Again, uh, not a catchy slogan, though, right? Come on, whoever's not come to the end of themselves cannot follow me. I mean, come on, the marketing department had to be like, come on. (laughs) Come on, that's not good. Like, can't we go with something a little catchier, a a little more enticing, a little more inviting, like... Can't we go with Burger King's, have it your way? Like Jesus would be like, come to me and have it your way. Right? Why, why, didn't, why couldn't Jesus say that? Because, I mean, that's kind of what, if we're being honest, what we really want, right? All right, Jesus, sure. Um, I'd be glad to follow you. Um, can I have it my way? Can I have it my way? No, no? Oh. All right, well, what do you got? carry the cross. <laughs> what else you got? Because that's, uh, yeah, sure wouldn't mind a little bit of God in my life. That, it's got to be helpful. But that's a little bit of a steep price there, fella. I don't know. 
And that's what we fear, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly what I feared. You know, in my youth, coming up into adolescence and teen years and going into my early 20s, I mean, I was a product of a home where my dad was a deacon in the Baptist church and abusive at home. That makes for a strange little religious Molotov cocktail. <laughs> right? My mom, she's a believer, she's well-meaning, but she's real emotional. I, I don't know where I ever stand. You know, I'm, I, I had a hard time trusting. And while I dabbled with the idea that there could be God and that Jesus, you know, is... Yeah, I learned about this man. I learned about the things he did, and I was intrigued on some level. I dabbled. By no means was I interested in being a disciple. In fact, as I headed in my early 20s, I went the opposite. I grew angry and frustrated and bitter in my life. I determined that atheism is a path for me. I don't want to believe that there's a God. And, and maybe you're here. I don't know. Maybe you're dabbling. Maybe you're still just dabbling. Like, is there God? Like... I don't know, could I use God? Maybe I could have, maybe you've even made a commitment to Jesus at some point, you're still just dabbling. You're like, yeah, I'll use you here, Jesus. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. And then I'll let you know, hey, stay out of that one. <laughs> None of your business there, okay? Maybe you're dabbling. And, I, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you honestly. Like, you're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're dabbling. But that's not the ideal thing. Jesus would tell you that's not ideal. Dabbling is not, it's going to lead to a lot of frustration, in fact. What he's looking for is a disciple. Did you notice how Jesus says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple? A lot of people here cannot and think that Jesus is being really hard-nosed here. Like, really, like, come on, he's being ruthless. He's being, he's being a little mean. He's, at the very least, he's being insensitive. I mean, he's setting such a high bar. Who could jump it? I mean, he seems unfeeling here. But I'll tell you this, the more you reflect on it, the more I've reflected on these statements, I don't think Jesus is being mean-spirited at all. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. What if it's not that he won't let you be his disciple, but he knows that you just won't have the foundational components to proceed any further without growing greatly frustrated and miserable? And he doesn't want you to be miserable. What, what if there's, there, there, there are these essential prerequisites that come with actually becoming a disciple of Jesus, an actual follower of Jesus, and he doesn't want to set you up to fail by you just ignoring those things. What if you want you to know, hey, I just want you to go into this with your eyes open. Because there's going to be costs. There's going to be self-sacrifice, right? I mean, think about it. If you want to be a doctor, you're going to have to study some stuff, right? Biology, chemistry, anatomy. I mean, are university professors really being unkind or mean if they say, unless you pass these subjects, you cannot be a doctor? I don't think so. I'm banking on that being true, <laughs> right? If you want to be, do my surgery, I hope you're not approaching it the way I approach being a rock star. We're just going to give this a shot. <laughs> I think I can do it. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you, right? And, G and Jesus then goes on to make some very famous statements around this, uh, about counting the cost. And he, he uses some illustrations to really land the idea home. Do you have enough to complete what you're about to start? Because it's worse to get halfway through and realize, I didn't think this through. I mean, we get this with doctors, and we get this with all sorts of familiar things like workout programs and getting in shape, buying a home entering a marriage. I mean, the more valuable something is, the more we're counseled. Like, really think this through, right? And for those of you that would be his disciple, Jesus would urge you, 
make the value calculation. Is this worth it to you? Because if it's not, you're, you're not going to get very far. If you're not done having it your way, whew, there's going to be some disruptions here. If you're, but if you're ready and willing to follow, if it's something that you would think it was that valuable, that'd be great. If you're not, you're probably going to be a miserable disciple. And I've got to be honest with you, I see miserable disciples everywhere, right? They come to Jesus looking for some improvement in life, right? But not like full commitment. It's just they, 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 they have not come to their end. They're not yet to that point where they're like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm done trying this thing. I need something better than this. I need something that I was made for, right? They're not to that point. They're just trying to slap a veneer of Jesus over the top of their have-it-their-own-way kind of life. It's easy to spot people that get frustrated like this because they often easily and very often get disillusioned and completely disappointed with God. They think Jesus has failed them and God has let them down because God didn't do things the way they thought it should be done. Listen, we're all curious and, and God will all do all kinds of things that we're like, I don't get it. And you should know that going in. And, and a lot of people that are miserable disciples, they never really calculated, never understood fully that when Jesus declared he could deliver life to the full the way he declared he could deliver it, what he actually meant was that you can't dabble with this sort of thing and experience that. You got to really get it, you got to go all in. If you really want that kind of life, you got to go in all in, right? And so here's the thing that happens when it comes to being a disciple. I think most people analyze the cost, what it's going to cost them to become a disciple of Jesus on this side. What will it cost me? And there's cost. Forgetting all the while the cost of not becoming a disciple. They just focus on what it's going to cost to be a disciple, not thinking about what it will cost them if they choose not to. And so we've asked a gentleman named Chris to come up and, and, and illustrate this with us. Chris, will you, come, will you give it up for Chris? Yeah, there you go, man. How are you, Chris? Thanks for doing this. Chris is in for some, a treat right now. Ooh, this is going to get good. So here's how this is going to go. I really want you to think about this. Again, peop people often think of what it's going to cost them to be a disciple, forgetting what it costs them if they choose not to be a disciple. So here, here's how that looks in real time. So this would be, here's what I want you to do, Chris. I want you to hold out your left arm straight to the side, and then I'm going to saddle this bag on it. And you got to keep it held up. Okay. Sound like fun? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a workout, buddy. All right, here we go. This is the cost. It's like the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? Yeah. And it's going to get really heavy because you're going to be here in a minute. All right, so, so this is what Satan would have you do. He'd have you all over here like, look at that. Look how heavy that bird. You can't carry that. That's a lot to call. And he would, oh, forget about over here. This is free and easy. There's no worries here. Have it your way. Have it your way. But this, oh, this is so hard. And Chris would tell you, this is heavy. This is heavy. But what you haven't considered is what burdens are you already carrying in your have it your own way life? Right? What bags have you already strapped on for yourself? Go ahead, right arm. Here we go. Here, what, that's pretty heavy too, isn't it? I mean, that's bad choices. I mean, that's broken relationships. That could be addictions. This could be regret. Right? 
And you're not factoring that. You, Satan only, oh, this is too heavy to carry. But you're not thinking about what you're already carrying. And look, this is unlimited. Your amount to carry baggage over here is unlimited. Because not only you're not counting the cost that you've already accrued, you're not thinking about, <laughs> it's rough. You're not thinking about all the future costs. All the future, oh. oh, Chris, I'm so sorry. That's heavy. I mean, you're not, listen, these are the self-inflicted wounds, you guys. All right, I'm going to let you go. There you go. Give it up. That's pretty great. You're going to be feeling that one, man. But seriously, I want you to think about this, because Satan just wants you thinking about here. Oh, this is too, oh, so hard, so heavy, right? But you're not thinking about it. This is unlimited, man. How much harder is it going to get with you doing it your own way? All, I mean, all those choices, all those self-inflicted wounds, the worst kind, by the way, am I right? The decisions you make that you swore you would never make, and you're like, it confounds you. That, like, how, how did I even do I swore I would never do that. Those hurt. How much worse will it get? So, so I would say to you, yes, please, we don't need more disciples who have not counted the cost. We count the cost, but count all of it. Count both sides. It is going to cost you something to follow Jesus. I would tell you following Jesus isn't easy. It's difficult. But it's amazing at the same time. See, when you focus, it's hard, it's hard to see when you're not looking at both sides. It's hard to understand the cost. There is a cost to Jesus for sure, but there's a cost to choosing not to be with Jesus as well. And that's an unlimited amount of baggage. So what's really heavier in the end? The cost of discipleship or the cost of not becoming a disciple or being a strong disciple? With that picture in your mind, what I want to do is I want to take you to a different passage to land this. What one where Jesus is referring to literally the exact same thing, but he's framing it from the other perspective, because he, he always gives you both sides. Yeah, there's a cost, but remember all this, too. Remember this, and this is how he says it. He's talking about the same thing, discipleship, and what it's going to, the cost of it. Matthew 11, 28, 30, says this way, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. You've already got them. And I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is using an agricultural metaphor here. A yoke is a wooden device that links oxen together, two oxen together as they are plowing. It's a picture of discipleship. And an invitation to stop doing life on your own and let Jesus pull with you. It's a beautiful picture of rest. But this yoke, it is discipleship. And you might say, wait a minute, I, I, I thought, what about the carrying the cross? I thought that was discipleship. Yeah, exactly. They're the same thing. One and the same. The easy yoke, the light burden, and the cross are all the same. They cannot be experienced, these things, until you're ready and at the end of your life. I want to say, I'm ready to stop that. It's the end of your life. It's the end of having your way. 
You gave away the autonomy because now you're tied and tethered to the God of the universe. Not bad. And what Jesus is actually telling us, quite candidly, is these heavy burdens, it's you. You are your own heavy burden. Your grip on your own life is the thing that continually weighs you down. And Jesus is longing to to show you what true soul rest looks like. He wants to show you a picture of life in the kingdom, but it's not your kingdom. And listen, you're never going to find the rest you're looking for while you're running the show. It just won't happen. And he wants everyone who would, who would be his disciple to understand, hey, before you get started, because I love you so much, and I don't want to watch you grow miserable, count the cost. Here's the thing, being a disciple of Jesus is both an initial and focused commitment to Jesus, a point in your life where you say, I want Jesus to be the Lord and leader of my life, but it's also a daily decision to say, every day, I want you to lead my life, Jesus. Every day. 